0: Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts
1: of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpey and Peter Torpey. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. This week, we have an episode from last year that just won the award for the interview category from the International Association of Audio Information Services. There is no question
0: that people with vision problems should be seen by an ophthalmologist to evaluate their condition. Low vision specialists, on the other hand, aim to provide solutions that will help in daily living. We spoke with Dr. George Kornfeld, a low vision optometrist himself, about aids and services that you might find beneficial. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Dr. George Kornfeld.
2: You know, my feeling is that somebody might go out of the doctor's office and have a name to what their condition is, and it's all very nice, but they walk out and it doesn't matter what the condition is, they want to see better, and it doesn't matter what it's called, it doesn't matter how long they've been treated, if they can't see the television, they're not happy, and if this is an opportunity for them to enhance their vision through a low vision device, that's where I'm coming from. And that's why I'm passionate about this, because I've seen over my career that low vision devices work and they make a big difference. People put it on and they they see their grandchildren and they they watch television again and some of them drive cars again. Um, One patient who's a nurse, her first complaint to me was that she could never drive her teenage boys to their sporting events because she couldn't see. She had juvenile macular degeneration. So she had this from a young age, like 16 or so. I saw her, this was like in February or so, and shortly thereafter, let's say whatever, two or three weeks, or, she had a pair of telescopes, and by June, she had a driver's license, and her husband had bought her a red truck.
0: Oh. Wow.
1: That's just got to be so rewarding.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And as we said, ophthalmologists are good at treating particular physical conditions and giving you some kind of treatment for those conditions. But as you'll see, as you listen to this show, there are many options that low vision specialists can present you with to help you do the things that you really want to do every day.
0: Let's start by meeting George and learning about how he got into the field of low vision optometry.
2: My name is George Kornfeld, Dr. George Kornfeld. I am an optometrist, and I have been in practice since 1971. I graduated from the Pennsylvania College of Optometry, and I've been working in that field ever since. And how did you get into the field of low vision Well, that's interesting because uh, in school, we had one semester of low vision, uh, at which point I saw a professor examine one patient. There were a group of us just watching. We observed. I had no feeling for low vision at all at that point. And then I finished school. I went to live in Israel, and while there, I happened to meet, for the second time, Dr. William Finebloom who was the owner of Designs for Vision, which is a low-vision eyeglass company on Long Island. And he was really the inventor and developer of a lot of the low-vision devices that I use today. I had met him at an optometric meeting in New York, and several months later, I bumped into him in Israel, at which point he told me that he had come there to set up a low-vision clinic in a local hospital in Tel Aviv. And I was living there at the time, and he said, why don't you come and see what we're doing? So I worked with him for about six months. I had a feeling for low vision from that experience, and I saw what he did, how we helped patients, and I was very much impressed with the fact that low vision patients had a future and had some hope, and he gave it to them. So by the end of that six months, I purchased a very small set of low vision lenses and moved out of town. I moved to the north of the country, and uh, started seeing low-vision patients in a local hospital in Haifa. Shortly thereafter, I started seeing low-vision patients in my own home practice, which I had started. That was back in 1973. I've been doing low-vision ever since then.
0: We must have left Israel a while ago because we first met you in Rochester, New York, maybe 25 years ago, and you're still here.
2: Back in the States, I did low vision for a short time at the Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Rochester, New York, uh, after which I opened my own private practice specializing in low vision and expanded to doing general eye care plus focusing on low vision in my private practice. And that's what I've been doing ever since. About eight or nine years ago, I connected with a group called the International Academy of Low Vision Specialists, and with that group, which is about 35 optometrists around the country, I am the low vision doctor from the group that sees patients in western New York, upstate New York, and now eastern Pennsylvania, and this is my exclusive area within that framework of the IALVS, International Academy of Low Vision Specialists. And that brings me up to today, and that's what I'm doing.
1: Great. So you've had a lot of experience in this area. Yes. And he will talk more
0: about the IALVS later in the show, including how you can get in touch with them to find a low vision specialist in your area. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 This week's focus topic is what's special about low vision optometry and how they can help people with limited vision.
1: One of the reasons we set up this interview with you today is that, you know, many people, especially as they get older, their vision may be degrading. And the first thing they do is see an ophthalmologist who treats them. But that isn't the end of the story, and I suspect that ophthalmologists don't often have the complete set of tools available to them that people in your area do. Can you talk about what is special about some of the low-vision clinics and what people might be missing if they only see an ophthalmologist and don't get referred to a low-vision clinic?
2: You're right. that Patients will go to an ophthalmologist, they have a medical problem, and let's say the doctor treats them, treats Macular degeneration or diabetes or other things or cataracts and gets to the point where they can't really enhance their vision anymore. So they've treated the medical aspect of the condition. What happens with the low vision is that we take it another step further. So we say, yes, the condition is devastating in many cases. Person could be legally blind, person could be low vision and not legally blind. But when you're talking about something like macular degeneration, there are parts of the retina that are still intact and still working, good working areas of the retina. That is the area of the retina that we take advantage of. So we want to move the image off that macula, which is not working well, and make the letter, let's say, instead of a big E, which focuses on that macula. Now the macula is not working. We take the E, magnify it, and move it onto the rest of the retina. So the patient recognizes what that letter is. Now, it doesn't have to be only large letters. It can be smaller letters that, again, get magnified and where a person has trouble reading. They may, by any number of different devices, be helped with the device and be able to read, be able to see a television, be able to drive again. So your question about the ophthalmologist perhaps not having um, the same kind of tools, I would say that that's mostly correct. To work in the low vision area, there are a lot of different things that you need in your office. You would need hand magnifiers, you would need illuminated hand magnifiers, you would need telescopes, you'd need monocular, you'd need telescopes that are built into the eyeglasses. Um, So telescopes, microscopes, high power lenses, and even regular eyeglasses where you might say the maximum that you could put in a you know, bifocal is, let's say, two and a half, plus two and a half, or plus three. Well, you have to say, wait a minute, I can't stop there. Maybe that patient needs a four or a five or a six, and you have to be willing to put that lens into the frame and try it and see what does that do.
0: Now, these numbers that you're citing, these are all diopters of correction?
2: Yes, they are. Sorry. They're diopters, and when you talk about the power, a plus three would make it so that you're going to read at 13 inches. When you go to plus four, you're going to read at 10 inches. And so the higher you make the bifocal or even putting that into a whole lens, the closer you have to hold it to your face. A lot of people don't like that idea, but they might see that by doing it, they can read where they couldn't read otherwise,
0: can you describe some of the devices you use most often?
2: Some of the other devices that I work with, um, which would be, let's say, a telescope. So you can set up a low-vision device for a person with macular degeneration. You do a full diameter. In other words, you fill up the whole lens with a telescopic correction. And they can see, use that to see television, look across the street, watch a play, go to a concert see their grandchildren in a play, all the things that they might be missing, they might see better with that telescope. And then we can take a lens and put it on the front of the telescope that brings the focus in for close work, so whereby it'll double. You have distance, and this is the effect of a bifocal, but you're putting it on the entire, it's a cap that goes over the telescope, brings the focus in, depending on the power, wherever you want it. So if you had, a, again, a plus three cap, it's for 13 inches. If you have a plus two cap, that's going to move it farther away. So a plus three might be good for reading, but a plus two or one and a half might be good to see a computer.
1: You've mentioned a range of corrective devices here. And just so that people understand, these are not corrective devices that you'd find in a normal eyeglasses store. These are really very specialized and customized to the individual.
2: Yes, they are. The tools that a regular optometrist or ophthalmologist is going to work with is going to be a regular pair of eyeglasses. They're going to look like regular eyeglasses. They're going to be a bifocal with a line or without a line. You go to an optician who is that person who makes eyeglasses, and he'll make any of those lenses no problem. When you talk about the low vision devices, you're talking about a lens usually which is made in a different way. It's a regular lens, and let's say we're talking about a telescope, we're going to drill a hole in the lens and mount a telescope right in the eyeglass lens.
0: So I think a lot of people may be familiar with seeing this kind of eyeglasses if they go to the dentist because the dentist needs to do very close-up work and they'll have an extra lens protruding from the front of their otherwise normal-looking eyeglasses.
2: That is exactly the kind of lenses that we work with. So the company that I deal with, Designs for Vision, makes glasses for us to use in the optical field. They make lenses that surgeons use, dentists use, and it's the same kind of thing the surgeon or the dentist is going to call that a surgical binocular. I'm going to call it a reading telescope. and It is the same kind of device and it works the same way. And they don't look like normal eyeglasses. Some people will say, oh, is that going to look just like my glasses? No, they're going to look different. They're going to look a little unusual. And people get used to it. I think the attitude might be that, oh, these are going to be weird. They're going to look funny. People are going to notice them. But once they start using them, they realize that that's their means of seeing. And when they get used to the idea that this really enhances their vision, it enhances their life. It makes them more independent. In a lot of cases, it means somebody could go to work on his own and and simply be able to drive there. It does take a while
1: to get over the hump of using something special and feeling that you stand out. I used a little handheld monocular back when I had some limited vision to look at the blackboard from, you know, the middle or the back of the room. Otherwise, I'd have to stand within inches of the blackboard to see
2: what was there. And, you know, I felt a little strange, but it got the job done. Right. I think a, a lot of places will prescribe that kind of a device, a handheld monocular telescope. It's good to see a bus number. It's good to see an address. It's not so easy for a student. And I prefer to put those kind of devices into a pair of eyeglasses. It means that your hands are free. Your hands are free to write. Your hands are free to do whatever you want to do. If they're what's called bioptic telescopes, which is almost like the reverse of a bifocal, because the telescope will be in the top part of the lens and elevated. So when you look straight ahead, you're looking with your normal vision, no telescope in the way. You see something that you don't really recognize so well or can't read. Then you tilt your head down, and you look through the telescope that's mounted and waiting for you to use it. It's right there. It's on the glasses. It's built into the glasses. And then when you're finished using it, you lift your head back up and get the telescope out of the way, and you have your whatever your normal vision is with your normal side vision. That would have been a lot more handy. Absolutely.
0: Almost six years ago in Episode 1148, we spoke with Wendy Micah, who was then and still is the low-vision optometrist at the Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired here in Rochester, New York, and she said that people could even learn to drive with this kind of eyeglasses. How good does somebody's vision need to be in order to drive legally?
2: You have to have vision of 2100 with your regular vision. You have to be capable of 2040 through a telescope, and you have to have a 140-degree field. So if you meet those criteria, there is a category of driver's license in New York State with which you can drive a car
1: talked about a range of glasses and telescope type devices. Do you also talk to people about magnifiers, glass magnifiers, special lighting, electronic devices for magnifying? Or is that out of your realm?
2: Well, it's not out of my realm, but I haven't done a lot of it. I have electronic magnifier available in the office to show people. It's a cool little device. It's almost like a cell phone, seven inch magnifier, which has a stand. It opens up And you can look at the magnified material. It's electronic. It goes up to very high magnification. I don't know if it's 20, 25 times. And what's really nice about this one device that I have available, the one electronic device, is it can take a picture. So let's say you're in the supermarket. You can take this device, hold it up to something on the shelf, top shelf, because you can't see it with your glasses. You take a picture of it. You bring it down into your range so that you can see it. And then you can enlarge it. It's got a zoom enlargement even on the picture that you've taken. That's available. Hand magnifiers, illumination. Lighting is extremely important. And some of the illuminated magnifiers that are available today are excellent. It's not really advertising, but there's one that's called Otlight. And they're available in the Michaels craft store. I have them available in my office. They're excellent for reading. Floor model, table model portable, rechargeable, and then they have a range of different kinds of illuminated magnifiers that are very good for use in, you know, lighting and magnification.
0: If anybody's interested in learning more about more specialized magnifiers and in particular the digital devices, whether handheld or desktop, we very recently did an entire episode when we talked to Ivar Illing from VFO Optelec about their Range of devices, and that was episode number 1709.
2: Optilec devices are very good. I've had them in my office. I think they also have closed circuit televisions, which are very good when you need that level of magnification. And you probably talked about it, or he talked about it, where you have a television screen right in front of you, you have a television camera that shines down on what you want to see, or read, or write. And then you can manipulate the magnification, the polarity, white on black, black on white, whatever works best for you. Some of them have actually cameras that you can move around and, and look at different places far away or look at your face. I don't know if that was one of theirs, but it's, there is a, a CCTV, closed-circuit television system that does that. There are a lot of devices out there. I'm going to get back to one of the simpler devices, a prismatic reader. How does the prismatic reader work? I was saying that the stronger the power, the closer you have to bring it to your face. So when you get very close to your face, you really can't converge your eyes for any length of time comfortably. You're going to get worn out. Your eye muscles are going to hurt because it's so close and you're trying to converge. So the prismatic readers enlarge the image and you bring it closer. But the prisms in the glasses make it so that your eyes stay straight. So you don't have to converge, yet you're getting the magnification, and you're able to bring it close enough to be able to read. That makes the print larger, you get good lighting, and that enables you to read. And there are various powers that they're available and so it depends on how strong it is, where you have to hold it. The other thing I want to say is, and uh, I'll just add a personal note to this, my wife has a vision problem today. And she uses two things that make a big difference for her. And one is these prismatic readers, which she wears two pairs of glasses, one around her neck, prismatic readers, regular glasses with a little stronger bifocal. And when something small is presented to her, she simply switches glasses and brings it up close to see it and sees everything. And the other thing that really helps her a lot to watch television is an iPad. The iPad gives her the opportunity of magnifying to a certain degree and she can hold it right in front of her. She doesn't see the television so so well across the room, even large. I mean, we don't have a, a giant television, but she doesn't enjoy that. But the iPad, she brings right up close and she gets a lot of pleasure out of that. Oh, that's nice. So other ways of using what have become standard everyday devices.
1: Well, it's amazing how much of that is standard these days if people have the imagination as to how to use it more effectively. You know, back in the old days, I got from graduate school with the CCTV. They were big, bulky, kind of ugly things back then. They've come a long way making some of these portable, as you said, with the seven-inch device and, uh, you know, lots of electronics and snazzy features in some
2: of these. Absolutely.
1: But you can also use some simple things, as you, as you mentioned, you know, just magnifying glasses and correct lighting is very important.
2: Lighting makes a big difference. I would have to say that your CCTV wasn't very portable. I mean, there are some that came as suitcases.
0: Oh, this would not fit in a suitcase.
2: They're big.
0: I mean, it was big, it was heavy, and it wasn't going anywhere.
2: <laughs> well, I have to say also, um, my wife does have one of those because you know when she had a change in her vision, very quickly she had devices. Like the next day I, had, I brought home almost all my devices to let her try them out. And uh, not everybody has their own low vision practitioner in their house, but she did. And um, but the CCTV, we went down to the ABVI and she was able to try all of the different ones that they had there. And she found the one that worked best for her. And and today she uses it for writing. She finds it very comfortable to be able to write under that. And she does artwork. So she likes to do drawing under it. It makes a big difference.
1: You know, it surprises me how many resources that are available through low vision clinics, and you've talked about a range of them, and you know it seems that there's so little known about the availability of these resources and low vision clinics. Why do you think that is?
2: I don't have a good answer for you. Many of my patients will come in. They find out about, I advertise because I want people to know that the low vision service is available, and they may not hear about it from their doctors. They might hear about it um, they may get referred, but if they haven't heard about it and they're having a problem and they might always ask, uh, well, is there something I can do for my glasses? Can I get stronger glasses? And and sometimes they're told that you can't get any stronger glasses. And that's sort of hard to imagine that you can't get, I mean, you can get almost any power in glasses. Now, whether they help the eyes or not, that's a different story. But if somebody has like a plus four reading glass and they say, well, that's the strongest you can get. Well, no, that's not the strongest. You can get plus 10, plus 12. there You can always go higher. And you have to just know how to put it into the glasses and how to make it work. So I would say that a lot of times what I do is I advertise. I tell people what potential condition they have. Um, and there are different lenses that might help them do the things that they want to be able to do. And I do that because... They might not hear it from their ophthalmologist or their optometrist or optician. And I want to make sure that they hear that there's some options out there that they could pursue.
0: Now for this week's final item... How to reach Dr. Kornfeld, how to learn more about low vision services in general, and
1: how to find a low vision specialist near you. So, if people had more questions for you and wanted to find out more about your low vision clinic, where would you send them?
2: Okay, so there's a website which is www.cornfeldlowvision. I'll spell that K O R N F is in Frank. E L D is in David, low vision, all one word, cornfieldlowvision.com
1: And is there a phone number or an email where people can reach you?
2: Yes. So there's also an email, which is G S Cornfeld at Rochester.rr.com. So G S is in Sam. Okay.
0: And a phone number?
2: There's an 800 number, which is 866. 866- 446 2050 and my office number is 585 271 7320.
0: You mentioned the International Umbrella Organization, can you give their full name and contact information as well?
2: Yes, so the group that I belong to is called International Academy of Low Vision Specialists and You can find them just by going on www.ialvs.com. If you want to find a doctor, you could say the same thing, www.ialvs, find a doctor. And let's say you're from who knows where, let's say you're from Illinois. You will click on Illinois and it'll come up with somebody who's in that area. So depending on where you are, you'll come up with a name. But it's a very interesting website because it tells you a lot of information about low vision. It tells you about what the conditions are. It gives you some ideas of how they're corrected. It has a lot of testimonials from patients who have benefited from the services. It will give you all of the laws of every state and driving laws. There's a lot of information. You can see a picture of who the doctor is, and you'll have a phone number and how to reach him. Um, And I'm guessing that a lot of us in the group have websites. Mm
0: -hmm. Do you know the phone number for the IALVS?
2: Yes, the phone number, which is toll-free, is 888-778-2030.
1: So I guess if people are experiencing some difficulty with their vision or notice their vision decreasing, if they've seen an ophthalmologist and they still think more can be done, they should search out a low vision clinic.
2: Absolutely. I would recommend it. I think it's the right thing to do. And in a lot of cases, they could be helped a lot.
1: And as usual, you'll find all the contact information we mentioned in the show in our show notes for this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. That's it for show number 1820.
0: Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be speaking with a college student and Paralympic athlete. That's all one person. We've spoken with Stacey Minella on previous episodes of Eyes on Success about how she skis competitively with a severe visual impairment and what it was like to participate in the Paralympics in both Sochi and then Pyeongchang. Next week, we'll talk with Stacy about what it takes to succeed as a visually impaired college student while traveling the world to compete in alpine skiing events and how she juggled the two. If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net or call us at 585-210-8094.